Bible study here at Calvary Chapel Running Springs. And uh, welcome. My name is Dave Hall, and uh, I have the pleasure of, of teaching uh, through continuing through the book of Revelation. And, and so, uh, last week, we, we talked a little bit about circling the wagons, and, and I don't want to uh, beat a dead horse, especially when we need them to pull the wagons. Um, but, you know, just as a, as a church body, we just want to circle the wagons. We want to draw tight as we can as a family um, because change is difficult. Change is hard. And uh, so during this time of transition, we want to make sure that we're loving on each other and that we're hanging out with each other. And, uh, and I like to eat with others. So, you know, we think there's something spiritual about eating with each other and you know, you think about Jesus after he resurrected, every time he hung out with, with the disciples, what was he doing? Eating. He'd say, hey, you got anything to eat, right? And so, you know, let's have some fish tacos. So, that's, so um, you know, so eat together, pray together, hang out together, reach out to one another. So, um, circle the wagons. And, uh, so, and, and still, the, the scripture that really just continues to speak to my heart is this Jeremiah 33.3 where it says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And that's what we're looking for. Great and mighty things that the Lord's going to do here at Calvary Chapel Running Springs. And so, uh, please join us in that. Circle the wagons. Amen? Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Um, we are in the book of Revelation. And what, a, what an exciting time for an exciting book. And uh, so, um, just in review, Revelation is, is the unveiling. It's, it's the consummation of all the things that happened through, through, through the ages. It puts all things together in the right place. And, and so last week we, we said that Israel is in land and church is in heaven and the Lamb is on the throne and Satan's in the lake of fire where he should be, right? And so, you know, at the end of this book, uh, it's, it's good things. Good things happen. In fact, good things happen at the beginning of the book because Jesus writes us letters. You know, there's, um, there, there, there's something to say when the King of Kings writes a little love note, right? And uh, so um, this is uh, this is where we're at. And also remember that the book of Revelation comes with a little special, uh, a little special gift, a little special promise. And uh, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Amen. So we'd like to claim this promise tonight. Right. Uh, I, I like being blessed. Right. So that's that's what we'd love to do. So we need to read. We need to keep, well, we need to read, and we need to hear, and we need to keep uh, all of these things. And this is the only book that gives us that, that promise if we do those three things. Uh, the book itself has its own outline, so uh, it, it, it's not as uh, you know, hard to dig through as, as you might think. Um, in, in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Write the things which says how seen. And, and so that's the vision of Christ that we, we read in chapter 1. And the things which are, which are the seven churches, seven letters to seven churches in chapters two and three. And, and that's where we're in the midst of now. And then finally, uh, the things which shall be hereafter. And that, that's what follows the churches. And we'll read those in chapters four all the way through 22. Some just amazing things happen. Some exciting things happen. And uh, I mean, things are happening uh, just, just this morning. And so lots of things are coming together and it's, it, it's amazing, just amazing. You know, when you think about it, you know, it's like, so how many epistles are there in the old or in, in the scriptures? And you would say, oh, that's 21, you know, and, and um, 14, 
Paul wrote, and then seven other people wrote, including one that we're not exactly who wrote. But uh, these seven epistles, these seven churches get seven letters from the King of Kings. And so these are just, you know, perfect love notes from our, from our Savior. And each of these letters, it includes a seven design elements. And so it says name of the, uh, of the church to the angel, which is the pastor or messenger. And oh, here's, here's the map. I like this map. Okay. So you can see where we've been. And Patmos is where John is, is writing from. And then we said Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and then Sardis. And then this week we get Philadelphia. So um, I, I, I like this map. You'll see it another time. All right. um, each of the seven letters included seven design elements. The name of the church, uh, the title of Christ that, uh, that he chose to give himself as he's talking to each of, these, each of these churches. He gives commendations or concerns or both. And then an exhortation and a promise to the over- overcomer. And then the closing phrase is that he that hath an ear, let him hear, uh, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so... Just a a cool uh, architecture of each of the letters. And then the closer you look, uh, the more detail you see. Some of them have a little different nuances than others. And and next week when we get finished with our last church, we'll put them all together and we'll we'll lay them out side by side so we can can compare them. Who remembers the acronym that we use to, to remember the churches in order? Nobody? All right. All right, all right, thank you. He, my star student is right here. Uh, in the front. You know, research says that you learn 20% more the closer you are, right? Okay, so anyway. All right, so yes, ESP, TSPL. All right, so that's, that's the acronym that you can use to, to learn the orders of the seven churches. Uh, and so here's our quiz, all right? So what does the E stand for? Ephesus. And the S is? Smyrna, okay. And the P is? Pergamus, right? Good. Okay. And then the T is? Thyatira. Okay. The S is? Sardis. Oh, yeah, see, that's a good one because we're here. And then the P is? Philadelphia. That's where we're going today. And then the L would be? ADC. Okay. So next week, all right, next week, there'll be a quiz. I'm going to have you write them out. No, I'm kidding. All right. We do have a quiz today, but we'll get there. All right. Um, so, uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and here's my favorite map again. Right? And so you can see that it was in a, like in a postal route circle. It was, it was one after another. And, uh, and, and so it's just... What's amazing is the churches that are listed here and the churches that aren't. You know, where's Antioch? Where's Jerusalem? I mean, these were major churches. There were over 100 churches at the time. But Jesus picks these seven. Because they tell a story. They tell a story of the church age. They tell a story of things that are going on in all of our churches. They tell the story of what was going on in those churches at the time. So it's so multi-layered. It's just amazing. Alrighty? Now comes the quiz. Ready? Alright, we're gonna play Name That Church. Ready? Okay. Name, name That Church. Okay. In one, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, one note. I can name that song. Alright, now, um, most of you know that I'm a school teacher, and, and in my class I use uh, computers and, and, and iPads and iPods and all kinds of stuff, and we call them student um, responder systems. And so it's a way for students to be able to respond to me, and, and then I can 
count and get the data, and I can see how I'm doing based on how they're doing, right? And so you have your student response system. It's right here, all right? Everybody put up your hand. Put up your student response system, all right? Ready? Um, all right, so on your hand, one finger will represent Ephesus, okay? Ready? So show me Ephesus. All right, good. And then two fingers will represent Smyrna. Three fingers will represent Pergamos. I forgot the plumber was going to be here. Four fingers will represent Thyatira, and then five fingers will represent Sardis. And luckily, we only have five churches that we've talked about. Otherwise, we'll have to use the other hand. All right, All right so you ready? Or our feet. Yes, good point. All right, so here we go. First question. Which church has folks that are holding on to the doctrines of both Balaam and the Nicolaitans? All right, so think about it. Five-second rule. All right. And those of you who know that, just throw it right up there. All right. Ready? The answer would be Pergamus. Okay. Remember Pergamus. Church of Pergamus had folks that are holding on to the doctrines of Balaam and Nicolaitans, both of which Jesus, what does he do? Hates. Jesus hates those. All right. Second question. Which church had a name that they, was, that, was, that they were alive but was dead? Five seconds. All right. And your answer, please. All right. That would be a number five, right? There we go. Bill, you're not answering. Okay, here we go. Potato when the teacher calls you out. All right. Next question. What church had left their first love? There we go. All right. And the answer would be... Ephesus. Yeah, good. Okay. Which church had allowed a false prophetess to encourage idolatry in the body? Okay. Well, all right. Answers. There we go. Fire Tyra. Excellent. All right. I know. This is killing you. Last one. Ready? Which church had no corrective exhortation? Which one had no... Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. Peace. Right? Because it was Smyrna. Right? Yeah. So, um, Smyrna, they needed to continue to be faithful and just keep up the good work. How many of you got five out of five, at least in your head? Okay. okay good. All right. I'll take that. All right. So, um, here we go. Tonight, the Church of Philadelphia. All right. Please turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to read through 7 through 13. All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we thank you so much for being here with us tonight. We ask that you would open your word right now, Father, and show us how we individually can be more like your son Jesus and how, how we corporately can be more like the church at Philadelphia, a friendly, love-filled family. We call to you, Father, and ask that you would instruct us just as you asked us to in Jeremiah, that we look forward to your answers we can't wait to see your great and mighty things that, which we do not know, Father. We look forward to hearing from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Revelation 3, chapter 7. It reads, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. 
Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow, what a cool letter to get as a church, right? I mean, think about it. Philadelphia is the church that everybody says, hey, that's us, right? They don't, we're not those guys. We're none of those. No, we're Philadelphia, right? So even though they might not know anything about the other churches, they just know that uh, they identify with the church at Philadelphia. And we'll see why. I mean, we just read it. We're going to just dig into that. Um, in my classroom, I teach science, and uh, I teach um, a set of Greek and Latin roots to my kids in, in, their, in their science class. And I have a list of about 150 roots, prefixes, and suffixes, and, and they learn them, and they put words together, and it's really cool. Uh, the educational research says that if these kids can learn the 150 words, that it literally increases their vocabulary by over 5,000 words, right? Because if they know what the pieces mean, then they can figure out what the words mean, even if they've never, ever heard of the word before. And uh, Philadelphia is one of those words that they'd be able to figure out. Okay? So if we break this up into two roots, file, P-H-I-L-E, right? Um, file, you've heard of, of, of a file. If somebody's an audiophile, then they love music, right? So file means friendly or favorable to and then the other part would be Delphia, which is a city or a town. And so you put them together and you get the friendly city. Right? So everyone thinks that the term Philadelphia means brotherly love. And, and it kind of does. And that's okay. It's, it's more of a description than it is a, a, of a definition. And there's a reason for that label. And you can see it up on the screen here. Um, there's a... Um, there's, there's a pair of brothers that, that were around at this time. And uh, they, uh, they had a father who was King Eumenides. And the King Eumenides had two sons. And one was uh, Alishire and the other one was Altalus. Right? And Altalus was the younger one. And he just idolized his older brother. And, uh, and so the, the father saw how much he loved his older brother and, and they would hang out together and they would do everything together. And then back then, Roman citizens were given an extra name. It was called a cognomen. A cognomen, we would call it a nickname. And it's usually a, a name that would be passed down from a father to a son. Right? Mari, do you have any nicknames for the boy? What do you call him? Rhino? Rhino? Okay, not much of a cognomen to have, but that's okay. All right. All right. But yeah, but it, it was one of those 
those, those nicknames that were passed down. And so, Altalus, he won the cognomen, and, and it was Philadelphus, which meant one who loves his brother. Right? And so, that's what the city was named after, was this, this nickname, this cognomen that uh, the father had given one of the sons. And uh, uh, the, the coins of the time, the father minted the coins, and you can see that the two brothers were uh, just completely alike in terms of height and features and dress, and, and literally throughout the city they were known for their loyalty and their, their affection to each other. Right? They were like BFFs that happened to be brothers. Right? That, that's who they were. Um, Philadelphia, like Sardis, was built to one of the greatest highways in the world at the time. And, and this literally was the highway that led from Europe all the way in, into, the, into Eastern Asia. So literally, Philadelphia was the gateway from one continent to another. Um, the area was well situated for wine production. And so here's a picture of, of what we know now as Philadelphia. Um, and uh, you can see in the foreground... If you can notice, it, there's, there's, there's vines, there's it's grapes. It's an excellent grape-growing and wine-making region. And uh, it, the city was pretty much known as a party town. All right? And so as, as people would go through town, you know, they'd stay and, and uh, partake. Uh, in fact, the principal deity of the town was Dionysius, which was the god of the grape har- harvest and wine-making and, and wine, all of that. So... Um, this, this is what the area was known for. The original purpose for the city was, uh, was to promote the Greek language, culture, and manners throughout that whole area. And so, in its own right, in, in, in a sense, it was a, a missionary city for the Greek culture. That's what it was built for. We're going to find later on that the church becomes the missionary church, not for the Greek culture, but for Jesus. Right? It becomes the missionary church. Um, it should be no surprise that this, this city, city of brotherly love becomes the church uh, of, uh, and the Church of Philadelphia was, was the center of evangelism for that area. So it was, it was the missionary church. It was also situated in a tectonic... Techno- there were earthquakes around, right? <laughs> Tectonics, right? Tectonics is where the plates are moving and all of that. And so... In, in an area where there's tectonics, you're going to have volcanoes, you're going to have earthquakes. And in the background of this picture, you can see that there's um, a series of volcanoes and uh, major earthquake system uh, faults underneath, you know, kind of like what, what we live on top of, right? And uh, there was a huge earthquake in 17 AD that totally destroyed Philadelphia and, uh, uh, and 10 other cities, including last week's Sardis. Remember, we said Sardis was also a victim of, of earthquakes. And, and the aftershocks for this 17 AD sh- uh, earthquake, they were felt for over 20 years. Aftershocks would just keep coming through. It's amazing. You know, we, we get aftershocks and, and we're like, oh, is that an earth- earthquake? And, and we go on the news and, oh, no, Nancy, the geologist, she says, oh, no, that's just an aftershock from three years ago. And you're thinking, wow, how can that happen? But literally, for 20 years, they were having aftershocks uh, afterwards. Uh, Tiberius was the Caesar of the day, and, and he came to the rescue for the city, and he gave lots of money to, to rebuild and to finance the relief to the city. And um, just to show their appreciation, they changed the city to uh, Neo Caesarea. Okay? Neo meaning new, another one that my kids would know. Right? And uh, so um, it was the new city of Caesar. 
And so after after uh, after Tiberius was uh, the the successor to uh, Tiberius was Vespasian, and so they named the city after his family name, which was Flavia. And so the city name would bounce around, and uh, none of those names stick. And so after a while, it revert back to Philadelphia. But you know, sometimes it's hard to keep track of, of the city names. Right now, uh, the town in Turkey is called Al-Shehu, which means city of God in, in, in Arabic. Um, later on in this letter, we're going to see that Jesus is changing the names of some other things too. So keep that in mind. Alrighty, let's jump in. Uh, verse 7. Oh, here's another picture of, of some huge columns. Look how big those things are. Okay. Um, all right. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? I mean, remember, the angel of the church is, is the messenger of the past, of the, or the pastor. He says, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one's open, and no one opens. Wow, that's quite a title, right? But this is what Jesus uses to describe himself to the to the church at Philadelphia. So let's break it down a little bit. First thing he says is these things says he who is holy. You know we like to think that we have a good grasp of what holy means. Uh, holy is an attribute of God that should bring in you know in each of us a certain amount of of fear or what we would call reverence and respect. And uh, because holiness is usually linked uh, to something that we don't like to think about, but basically the essential need for justice and judgment. Right? God's holy. Leviticus 11.44, it reads, it says, For I am the Lord your God, and you shall therefore consecrate yourself, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Isaiah 6.3, and one, speaking of the seraphim, cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his glory. Why do they say it three times? Why do the seraphim say it three times? Yeah, because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God's uh, God in three persons. This is the Trinity, and each one of them is holy. Jesus was declared holy in His birth in Luke one thirty-five, holy at His death in Acts two twenty-seven, and presently, right now, as we speak, He is praying for us. Right? He's He's praying for us. He's our prayer warrior. Hebrews seven twenty-five says, "Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him." since he always lives to make intercession for, for them. That them is us. Jesus is praying for us. <clears throat> when Jesus chooses this title for himself, he's focusing on his character. And this is a perfect match with the church at Philadelphia because of the seven churches, Philadelphia is the only one that's loyal and faithful and confident ambassadors for Jesus. All the rest had problems, but... This one doesn't. He says, he who is true. Now, the word here for true is alethinos, which means real, genuine, true. Contrast to fake. Think about the difference. Um, this just means that Jesus can be trusted. His kingship of the, of the universe rests upon the foundation of his character. He can be trusted. We can confidently place our lives in his hands. We can confidently place our eternity in his hands. I love Psalm 2.12. It finishes. It says, Blessed are those who put their trust in Him. 
Now, this whole idea of trust is the exact opposite of the Allah of the Quran. Uh, the Quran presents Allah as a capricious God with a small g. Right? Capricious means that uh, he's unpredictable. You never know what he's going to do. kind of depends on how he's feeling. Right? Um, we call that untrustworthy. Right? Our God delights in making and keeping his promises. That's what he does, and that's what he does best. The Bible's filled with promises that he has kept, filled with promises that he's keeping presently, and the Bible's filled with promises that are still yet to come. Uh, our Lord is trustworthy, and he's trustworthy forever. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Wow, that's kind of different. In chapter 1, we read that Jesus held the, the keys to hell and death, right? Well, to this church, he says, hey, I've got an additional key. It's the key of David. And what does this mean? Well, in order to understand what that means, we need to look into Isaiah 22, 22, 25. And Isaiah 22, 25, we, we read about a man named Shebna. And Shebna was the treasurer and the king of Judah during the reign of Hezekiah. And during that whole list of all the kings that were going on, Hezekiah was a good one. And, uh, but Shebna got a little crazy with the, uh, with the kingdom gold card. He went out and he bought himself uh, a crypt and he bought himself a couple really nice chariots. And uh, he, he put it all on the gold card and, and uh, he got called on it. Isaiah showed up and he said, you know what? What are you doing? You're given all this freedom, but you're blowing it. And uh, he says, Shebna, you're in big fat trouble. And so the key to the treasury was taken from Shebna's shoulder. Now what they did is they, they, they wore on their gowns. The, the treasurer had the big old key. And it's not like one of our little keys. I mean, this thing is big and heavy. And, but even more, it, was, um, it, it, it showed authority, right? When you held the key, you wore the key. Um, I had read that that's kind of where the whole idea of when military, when they wear their ranks on their shoulders, that's kind of where it started. They would wear the key on their shoulders. And so um, the key of the treasury was taken from Shebna's shoulder and, uh, and it was given to a godly man named Eliakim. And Eliakim, he wore it wisely. And so Isaiah went on to speak of Eliakim who used the keys properly as being fastened, not like a nail, but with a nail. Think about it. He was fastened with a nail. And so, look at all these characteristics that Eliakim had. He says, Eliakim was given the job that uh, he had full administrative authority. He carried the heavy key on this loop slung over his shoulder. And this key indicated his power to grant or deny access to the king. Right? Wow, we can think of another one who perfectly carried the king of the government upon his shoulder. Another who has full authority. Who do we think of? We think of Jesus. Okay, the same description. So, like him, maybe a messianic type. All right, so we got through the title that Jesus uses for himself. Let's get to the good news. All righty, this, this, this is the good news. This is what uh, this is what Jesus uh, writes. And he says, "I know your works." And Jesus said to this to all the churches. Um, the church at Philadelphia had served God in lots of different and difficult circumstances. But Jesus knew it. Jesus knows what's going on in the churches. He says, See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. An open door speaks of evangelistic opportunity. Jesus tells them that he must 
that he has opened the door of an evangelistic opportunity to them and they got to go through it in faith. Um, as if you, if you look up, you know, uh, doors and what do they mean? So I, I found some different pieces. Colossians 4.3 says, uh, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. So it's an evangelical opportunity, evangelistic doors. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says, For a great door and effectual uh, is opened unto me and there are many adversaries. So once again, the door is open, the opportunity is there. And there are many adversaries. So maybe not always that it's going to be easy. It's not always going to be easy. Um, in its history, Philadelphia had this great evangelistic calling. The city itself was a, a missionary uh, uh, for spreading Greek culture and language uh, through the whole region. And now Jesus opens this door for them to spread the culture of his kingdom through the whole region. Jesus tells them that they have this open door. You know, and sometimes God sets an open door of evangelistic opportunity in front of us and, and, and we don't see it. And so uh, we want to uh, make sure that if we see an opportunity, if we see an open door, we want to be able to walk through it. Uh, God wants us to take advantage of every evangelistic opportunity that we, uh, that we have before us. Um, on Sunday's bulletin, if you look inside there, we have some evangelistic opportunities that we already have in motion. And the first one that you'll read about is our father's, uh, our father, about our father's business. And Robert and Kim, and I don't see them here tonight, but uh, they run this uh, outreach down in Meadowbrook Park, down in San Bernardino, and they go the last Saturday of each month. And they're down there loving on the homeless. They take food, snacks. They take uh, personal hygiene kits. They give out meal cards. They pray with folks. They uh, do worship and a, and a message. And, and uh, it, it's quite an outreach. Um, if, if that interests you, get a hold of Robert and Kim and, and uh, they give you all the details. Another opportunity that we have here is the Bread of Life. And our own Mary Bolfe. She, uh, Mary, say hi. All right. Mary, uh, she runs this amazing ministry and it's been, uh, it's been going on for a while and it has literally, we can say that it's fed thousands easily, right? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the number of families and people, uh, that, uh, that are getting, uh, served through that. So, uh, the Bread of Life is, is, uh, is another ministry that the church uh, uh, it, it has walked through that open door. Um, it happens the third Saturday of each month, and if you're interested in getting involved, see Mary. We have a new opportunity. A new door is opened, and it's called Tierra Viva. How does how's that? Terrible, I know. Right? <laughs> Mario and Rana Meza are, are starting a Spanish-speaking um, outreach, a, a, a ministry, a church service. And I've asked Mario to come and, and share a little bit about what's going on with uh, with Piedra Viva. Viva. I'll work on it. All right. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no, I just loud. Just loud. Piedra Viva. Can you say that? Piedra Viva. 
Misterios Fano. Buenas noches, familia. Acérquense a él, la piedra viva que los hombres desecharon, pero que para Dios es una piedra escogida y preciosa. Primer Pedro 2.4. Oh, sorry. This was this is next week. Today it's in English. Travis Chaparroni Springs invites you to our Spanish ministry called Piedra Viva or Living Stone. It's taken from the First Peter two four, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Travis Chaparroni Springs invites you to the Spanish ministry where our fellowship. Of believers under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, our greatest desire is to know Christ and transform into His image by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Very simply, family, is for some time now, it's been on our heart to reach out to the Spanish speaking community. And uh, after some uh, procrastination and some stubbornness that came with it, we decided to actually <coughs> move on and get on with it. So we invite you. To this is how you can help. Okay. Can you repeat after me? I can help. You say I can help. Okay. This is how you can help. Pray. Okay. First of all, everybody can do that. Correct. Say I will pray. Pray for this ministry. I cover your prayers personally, our family. Okay, as we step forward, so you can pray. Secondly, um, this Sunday, the bulletin, you will have a little flyer. Okay. Pastor Dan is helping us out to make it nice and pretty. It'll be in English. So that you can read it, in <laughs> Spanish, so that you can give it to somebody. Does that make sense? How clever is that, huh? That's good. <clears throat> so that's an outreach. Make sure that somebody that you know that can be blessed by the Spanish-speaking ministry, make sure that you put it in their hand. Will you do that? Yeah. Say, I can do that. Hey, hey, awesome God. Um, thirdly, some of you. Um, And I know that this will be true because God told me. We've been, we've been like on a one-on-one conversation. He says some of you uh, have been feeling that tugging in your heart to get involved, to get involved in something. This may be so. So pray about it so that you can come out and get involved. We already have four wonderful servants. Step forward, Mary, uh, Rick. I don't see Vicky. Vicky here. Um, and Carmen have all stepped forward. And And that's the initial part of the ministry. We will meet again on Saturday at one o'clock here. I mean Sunday. I'm sorry. Thank you, Mary. On Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, It takes a village. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to be that bright. <laughs> Sunday one o'clock. We'll meet again here and uh, come together, get some information. And the following Sunday, we'll start our first service. All right. Praise God. Pray. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Exciting. There we go. A door is open, and we're going through it in faith. So it's exciting. Alrighty. Next, Jesus tells the church, He says, "For you have a little strength." And the term "a little strength" doesn't imply weakness here. It it uh, it implies real strength, but they are weak enough to be strong in the Lord, and. If you're too strong, you're too big, uh, it seems that uh, we can be too sure of ourselves for God to really use us. But um, when we're knuckleheads like us, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no strength there. Uh, so the, the church in Philadelphia had um, like the poverty of spirit, enough to know that they really needed God's strength. 
the Apostle Paul had that, had that same mentality. He was a great example of this dynamic of weakness and strength, that balance. God's strength was made evidence in his weakness. And we read in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 7 through 10, and, and I know that's tiny. Well, it's not too bad. Um, and least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of, of revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a message of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, in Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What an awesome attitude. Then Jesus says, For you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The church of Philadelphia was faithful to Jesus and his word. The idea behind having not denied my name is, is not only that they express their allegiance, but they live that way. Right? So when, when, um, when it came to rubber meeting the road, that's, that was their life. Some churches that claim great faithfulness to the word of, of Jesus deny his name, his character. They represent the manner and style as, as, of Jesus as something that's very different than what the Bible, what the Bible shows. So let's look at the features of, uh, of the Church of Philadelphia. They took advantage of every op- evangelistic opportunity. So I have set before you an open door. They relied on God. You have a little strength. And they were faithful to Jesus. I've kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, in, in some ways, these features, they seem unspectacular. Right? You think, oh, that should be commonplaces among churches. But the sad thing is, is that it's not always the case. But yet, Jesus was completely pleased with this church, this unspectacular church. Um, He had nothing negative to say to the church of Philadelphia. Then he goes on, he says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who said that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Apparently, the Christians in Philadelphia were being persecuted by Jewish people. Okay, and they were Jews just in name only. They had no spiritual connection to Abraham or the people of the faith, but they were persecuting the Christians in Philadelphia. Uh, in our day, uh, this may be a reference to the growing number of people in the Christian community who say, you know what, because God's through with the Jews, we'll be Israel. And uh, this, this group is called the Reconstructionists. Um, they believe that the church has replaced the Jews because Israel had rejected her Messiah. Um, and that the promises to Israel were now falling upon the church. And this is called replacement theology, um, being that the idea that the, the church replaces Israel in, in Scripture. Um, these folks need to do a little homework. They need to read, uh, let me see, we'll start with Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, where it, it describes that God declares that he's not finished, he's not through with Israel, that Israel will continue to be the apple of his eye. Then Jesus says, Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. Um, So in this, Jesus promises that he's going to vindicate his people and make sure that these these persecutors recognize that they're wrong and that Jesus and his followers are are correct or right. 
Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25, it speaks of unbelievers falling down in the midst of Christians to work, uh, to worship God. Um, it, it isn't that the Christians were being worshipped. Uh, it's God being worshipped in the presence of Christians. So that's what's being described here. God promises that the church in Philadelphia will be vindicated before their persecutors, but not worshipped by them. Right? And Jesus says, and to know that I have loved you. So they that persecuted the church are going to come in and become friends with those who were being persecuted. And, uh, and isn't that the best way to destroy the enemies of the gospel? Is to pray that God would change them into friends. And that that, uh, that that would be a door that we can all be praying about. Jesus says, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the world, the whole world. This is one of the most important promises in the New Testament. And uh, in, this, in, in this, Jesus promises the protection from the hour of trial coming on the whole world. And the Greek here indicates not through, but from. And that's, that's very, very important. He promises protection from the hour of trial coming on the whole world. And as you might suspect, that whole idea of the hour of trial is a prophetic, prophetic reference to the, to the Great Tribulation. And uh, Jesus promises to keep those from the hour of trial. I like from better than through. Right? Yeah, no, not a fun time. So we're going to see this subject emerge over the next uh, over the next couple chapters. And Jesus says to test those who dwell on the earth. So this test that he's talking about is directed against those who dwell on the earth. Now, who are the earth dwellers? The earth dwellers is a phrase that's used nine times in the book of Revelation, and it speaks of those who are not saved. Revelation 17:8 makes the term synonymous with the lost. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. So this test is for unbelievers, not for Christians. Christians are different. We're tourists here, right? We should have visors on and, and you know, zinc oxide on our nose. We're tourists here. Uh, though we walk on this earth, our dwelling place is heaven. And we've been seated in heavenly places in Jesus and we do not dwell on the earth. Our life is hidden in Jesus. At this point in the architecture of the letter, this, this concludes the commendations that were given to the Church of Philadelphia. And so, here's a list of the concerns. Okay, isn't that nice? <laughs> that would be a really nice report card to get. Um, list of concerns is zip. Jesus has no concerns. And so, he moves on to the exhortation. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. Now, the Church of Philadelphia has to remember that, um, that, that you know, Jesus is coming quickly and, and they need to prepare for His coming. And the whole expression quickly here uh, needs to be understood as something which is sudden and unexpected. Not necessarily immediate, but when it happens, it's going to happen fast. And so, uh, I, I don't know, you know, as you listen to the news and you hear what's going on, I had a little Ezekiel red flag go up yesterday. And, and I don't know if you heard this, but there was a news report about Russia supplying defensive arms to Iran. Defensive arms to Iran. And uh, that, that raised an Ezekiel 
38-39 red, red flag in, in my mind. And so, you know, these things are going to happen fast. They're going to happen quickly. So Jesus said, hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to what you're doing right. The Church of Philadelphia shouldn't depart from its solid foundation, jumping at evangelistic opportunities, having this reliance on God, remaining faithful to Jesus. They don't need to change. right? So these things need to continue and they need to hold fast. You know, I just don't think it's a coincidence that here we are in Revelation chapter 3, learning about the Church of Philadelphia, and we're at a time of transition in our church. And so I see this as this. Here's the blueprint. Lord's saying, here's the blueprint. This is, this is what I want. And so we just need to continue to pray for specifics. All right, Lord. All right, we get the big picture. Now let's fill in, let's fill in the spots. Let's fill in the blanks. Jesus says that no one may take your crown. Now, this, this is not a crown of royalty. Um, it, it's, it's not given because of royal birth. This is a, a crown of victory. And this is what we have in Jesus. Um, the fun thing is that you already have it. Okay? We don't feel it, but we already have it. Because you can't lose what you don't already have. Someone can't take what you don't already have. So, in Jesus' eyes, we already have our crowns. Um, we're going to talk more about crowns later on, chapter 4, and pretty soon we're going to be throwing our crowns. Because they, don't, they're, 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 they don't mean anything to us. We want to give them to our Lord. Then he says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Um, overcomers, that's us. Remember, no, last week we talked about uh, who the overcomers were. And at the Church of Sardis, we read John 5. Um, it said that the, the overcomers were those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God and that we are the overcomers. And so, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And so, if you think back to those huge pillars that were still standing after this huge earthquake, um, pillars were pictures of strength and stability, uh, dignified beauty, especially in this town that you know suffers from uh, years and years and decades of aftershocks. And uh, uh, when when a building building collapsed uh, in an, in an earthquake, often all that remained were these big huge pillars. And so here Jesus is offering us the same strength to remain standing in him when everything else around us crumbles. These huge pillars are still, still standing. So we need to be his pillars. And guess what? He's going to be our foundation. That's how we can stand up, is with Jesus as our foundation. And he writes, and he shall go out no more. So Jesus is saying the overcome will have a place of permanence and stability with God. Uh, in contrast to an uncertain place in the, in the world. And if you think about it, it's the citizens of Philadelphia. They lived a, an unsettled life. Whenever the earthquake tremors would, would come through town, they would head out of town because the buildings were falling over, the plaster was coming off the walls, all this stuff was flying around. And, and so they would leave and they would go live outside the city until the tremors would calm down. And then when the earth was quiet again, that they would return. And uh, in their fear, the people of Philadelphia, they were always coming in and going out, coming in and going out. They were fleeing and then returning. But Jesus says to the overcomer, he shall go out no more. You don't have to run away. 
Jesus says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of the heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Last week we read that Sardis had a name, but it was dead. It was hollow. It talked about being alive, but it was empty. In this letter to Philadelphia, Jesus writes about the name of my God. Four different times he says, my God. Other than this letter, there's only one other place where Jesus says, my God. And that was his first scream from the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you think about it, it was the only time in eternity that he hadn't called him father. And why was that? Well, because at that point, when he was hanging on the cross, he was in our place because of our sin. He was separated from his father. The overcomer also receives many names okay, of God, the new Jerusalem, and the new name of Jesus. And these names are marks of identification because they show who he belongs to. It's kind of like he gives us nicknames. Right? Probably will be Rhino. Okay. <laughs> Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And, you know, as we hear these commendations, we would all like to hear the same praise and encouragement that Jesus gives to the church at Philadelphia. And, you know, he gives us this blueprint. It says they took advantage of evangelistic opportunities. They relied on God. They were faithful to Jesus. So, family, I have some homework for you. And uh, so my challenge for you for this week is, is, is twofold. Number one, look for open doors of opportunity. Show the love of Jesus. Right? Be an ambassador for the Lord. Number two, pray that God would change the enemies of the gospel into friends and that they would be worshiping right here and here. And we've got a lot of empty chairs, right? So, so bring those friends. All right? Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for this evening and thanks for the description of the Church of Philadelphia. What an amazing place it must have been, and we ask that uh, you would lead us and guide us to the, to the point where we would also uh, be amazing. We'd be amazing in you. We ask that we would be able to see the doors and walk through them in faith. We thank you for the opportunities that you've given us so far and, and that you're, you are giving us uh, presently. And So we just thank you. We thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for growing us. Thank you for building us. Thank you for being here this evening.